I don't want the mansion here in this world of sin and shame. All I want to know is I've been born again. I don't want wealth or fame, and I don't care who knows my name. All I want to know is I've been born again. As I journey through this land, oh, there's one who understands all the struggle and the trials I go Born again. So I never in my despair, Jesus saved and met me there. Now I know, thank God I know, I'm born again. As I journey through this land, oh, there's one. Understands all the struggle and the trials I go through. Yes, there's one up above looking down in peace and love, and he tells me that I've been born again. of diamonds, mountains of gold, all the rivers of silver, and your jewels on all these together couldn't buy you our in life's valleys or a conscience is free a heart with salvation or a satisfied
our Bibles together, please, in the book of Mark's Gospel in chapter number 10. And certainly we're delighted that you're able to come today, and we pray that God will bless us as we gather in God's precious Word. And uh, I'd like to thank, indeed, our brother Smiley for coming. Uh, we pray that God will bless him and that the Lord's hand will be upon you, and the Lord will indeed undertake for you. And I'm sure when our brother mentioned martyrs, I'm sure our brother would like to have you also over there in his congregation this evening as well, so we better put a plug in there as well. But let's open our Bibles, please, in Mark's Gospel, chapter number 10. And we're commencing to read the Word of God at verse number 17. Let's follow the, the reading of God's infallible and God's precious truth together, please. That is uh, John, or Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, 
and the verse number 17. And when Jesus was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeling and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not uh, bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. We end our reading there, and we know that God will add his blessing to the reading of his infallible truth. Let's just bow our heads for a wee word of prayer. Seek the face of God together, please. Eternal God and gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy word this afternoon. Uh, thy word is truth, and we know that thy word is forever settled in heaven. We thank you, Lord, we can depend upon this word that we're reading today. We thank thee, though heaven and earth may pass away, my word shall never pass away. And we thank thee for that inspired, infallible, inerrant word of thee, the living God. And I pray that thou will take of thy word and that thou will write it upon each and every one of our hearts. And Lord, we pray that even this afternoon some precious soul will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. We ask these things for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Now, it's very true that we live in an age when everybody's in a rush. You know, if you meet someone down the town and maybe you just want to maybe have a wee conversation, uh, they usually say to you, listen, I'm sorry, I'm in a hurry. I'll see you another, I'll see you another time. Everybody seems to have, have, have something to do and somewhere to go. And uh, we have faster cars, we have bigger machines than we've ever had before. And yet everybody seems to be further behind than they've ever been before. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was upon this earth, the Lord Jesus took time for people. And I think it's important for us, in this mad rush age in which we're living, it's good to just take time. The wee verse says, take time to be holy and speak oft with thy Lord. Remember, the Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus by night. I have no doubt whatsoever the Savior was tired, but you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he took the time to speak to Nicodemus. Do you remember the Lord Jesus Christ was there at the well? And my, as he rested at the well, the, the woman that was at the well of Samaria. And the Bible says he must needs go through Samaria because he knew there was a thirsty soul at that well. And he had water that the well would never give her, the water of life. And when he, he told her indeed that if she would drink of that water that he would give, she would never thirst again. She said, give me that water. And thank God that day she got a draft of the living water that she would never thirst again. The Lord Jesus Christ was on his way to the cross. He was on his way to Jerusalem on that last journey. He was passing through Jericho. There was a little man sitting at the side of the wayside. He was begging because he was blind. And you know, the Lord Jesus Christ stopped. There were crowds around him, but the Lord Jesus stopped and took time and says, bring him to me. And the Lord Jesus took time to speak 
to blind Bartimaeus. He was going on the other side of the city of, of, of Jericho. And when the Lord Jesus was walking out there, there was another wee man, and he was up a tree. He was hiding up a tree. His name was Zacchaeus. The Lord Jesus stopped again. Yes, he was on a journey, but he stopped. He took the time. In actual fact, he took time. He said to him, he says, I'm going to your house for tea. And he went home with a man, Zacchaeus, and the Lord Jesus Christ changed Zacchaeus' life never to be the same again. You remember Jairus' daughter? The Lord Jesus took time. He took time to go and raise that little girl that was indeed in death's throes itself. On his way, there was a woman that touched the hem of his garment. The Lord Jesus Christ was making his way there to, to Jairus' home. Jesus stopped. He stopped. He took the time. And my, he spoke to that woman. And that day, the Lord Jesus wonderfully and gloriously healed her. Her life was never the same again. Praise God. Here was a person that for so many years had been hemorrhaging. And this woman's life was, was just fading away until Jesus came. And thank God Jesus changed her life. I want to talk to you, the Lord Jesus taking time again. But the sad reality is that not everyone that came into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ left changed. Ah, yes, things happened in their lives that would never be the same. But sad to say, some would walk away from Christ and turn their back on the Son of God. And friend, it is very possible for you to come to the house of God and sit here in God's house and still go away. Your heart unchanged, unmoved, unconcerned about the things of God. Now I want us to come here to this passage of God's Word because the Lord Jesus Christ, remember, He has spoken. There was a crowd around the Lord Jesus Christ. He took time to speak. The Pharisees came and they were, of course, trying to tempt Him and just trying to trip up the Lord Jesus. But then there were those who came with their children. And the Lord Jesus Christ took them up in his arms and he, he blessed them. They wanted the Lord Jesus to touch their children and thank God he did. And the Lord Jesus blessed those little children. It says in verse 16, he took them up in his arms, he put his hands upon them and he blessed them. Surely every parent should have that desire that the Lord would bless their children. Oh, that God would save our children. Oh, that God would close the last one in. That God would just reach to the last straying lamb and bring them into the fold and bring them to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the Lord put his, he took them up in his arms. He put his hand upon them and he blessed them. It's a wonderful thing when the Lord blesses your children. And the greatest blessing that any man or any woman can experience is the blessing of God's salvation. To know that their sins are forgiven. To know that they have peace with God. They know that no matter what happens, that thank God it's well with their soul. To know that there's nothing can separate them. No matter what comes in life, even death itself, there's nothing can separate them from the love of God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate them from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, mother, that's the greatest blessing that your family can experience. That's the greatest blessing that you can experience 
is the blessing of God's wonderful, free, and glorious salvation. Now, the story that we have before us from verse number 17 is a story that's recorded. In actual fact, the Holy Ghost believes and knows that this is an important story because three times we have three of the writers in the New Testament. We have Matthew, we have Mark, and we have Luke, all recording this story about this man who came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says here in verse number 17, and when he was gone forth, that was the Lord Jesus Christ was gone forth in the way, and remember where he's going, the Lord Jesus is on his last journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's on his way to the cross, just like indeed the story of Zacchaeus. The Lord Jesus Christ is passing this way for a last time. And the Bible says he was gone forth into the way. There came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? I want you to notice four simple things about this passage of God's word. First of all, I want you to know the person, the person here. Because the Bible tells us something about this person. As I said, it's recorded in Matthew, it's recorded in Luke, and it's recorded in in, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And yet there's little things that's different because it tells us something about this person. First of all, the Bible tells us here concerning this person that he was a ruler. He was a ruler. This person who came to the Lord Jesus Christ was a ruler. Turn back with me, please, just to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, for a moment. And we'll just see what does Matthew got to say about this young man who came to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Matthew's chapter 19. And let us read in verse number 20. It says, The young man saith unto him. So here's the story that is written because verse 16 it says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And it says in verse 20, the young man saith unto him. So the first thing I want you to notice about this person, he was young. He had got youth on his side. Now that's a wonderful thing. Youth's a wonderful thing. I, I, I can remember, you say I have a great memory. I can remember my youth. What did the psalmist say? The psalmist says, he says, I have been young and now I'm old. And thank God, well, I can say with the psalmist, I have been young. I've been through the years of my youth. Now, I'm not the oldest of our family, so don't worry, because I have a cousin, and she's 101. And if God spares her to February, she'll be 102. And uh, she's still going. And you know, the amazing thing is this, that after 101 years, there's a wee thing going on inside her, her breast there, and it's ticking, and it has never stopped in 101 years. Isn't that amazing? You talk all these new machines that are, for goodness sake, to last no time. Of course, they're made to last no time anymore. Used to be a person got a cooker, and my a woman got a cooker, and it lasts for years. They used to have a washing machine, and it lasts for years. Now it hardly lasts a, a year. These are the things that just seem to burn out. They're useless. But I tell you, there's a little thing going on inside that breast. A hundred and one years, and it has never stopped once. That little heartbeat. Isn't it amazing? But here's a young man. Here's a person, he's got youth on his side. And my, that's a wonderful thing. Life is a wonderful journey. 
We, read, we were speaking on Friday night about a, a young man. He was the prodigal son. He was a boy that had got youth on his side. And the Bible says that he, he demanded of his father, give me. And his father divided on to his sons, his living. And then not many days after, the young man made his way into the far country. And he wasted his substance. But he did something else. He wasted his youth. He wasted his youth. And friend, that's what the devil wants you to do. Listen, young people. If you only knew but knew and understood the, pre, the, the jewel that you have, the jewel of youth. It's a wonderful thing. My, the vibrancy of youth and the vitality of youth. You're able to do things in your youth that my, whenever you come to my age, you're not able to do. But youth can be wasted. And the young man went into a far country and he not only wasted his father's substance, friend, he wasted his youth. And I beg you today, in God's name, don't waste the life that God has given you. Remember, only one life and will soon be passed. And it's only what's done for the Lord will last. Remember what the, the Word of God asks the question, what is your life? What is it? Do you know whenever you're youth and you look forward and you say, listen, well, I've got... Well, if it's three score years and ten, my, I haven't got a long journey. Let me tell you, it's not long it goes in like that. And looking back, it's such a short journey. Sure, it's hard to believe. We're nearly in the middle of November. This year is nearly burnt out. And it's only just like yesterday we started it. And that's the way life's going. What does the hymn writer say? Life at best is very brief. It's just like that falling of a leaf. It's like the, the binding of a sheep. My men and women need to be in time. And what does Ecclesiastes 12, 1 say? Remember now thy creator. In the days of thy youth. Young person, God's given you a wonderful possession. Life and youth. But what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? He was a young man. And the Bible says he was young. But the Bible tells us something else about this young man. Because not only was he a young man, but the Bible tells us he was a rich young man. He was a rich young man. And if you turn there in, your, in the Bible to the passage of God's Word uh, that we have read in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10... It says in verse number 22, it says, And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He had great possessions. Here is the rich young man. He has got great possessions. You see, as far as the world is concerned, friend, the world's at his feet. The world's his oyster. He has everything that money can buy. And you know, some people say, you know, if only I had wealth, I had everything. Let me tell you something. Be careful about that. Because you know, in my years of experience, I've sat in people's homes and I've seen people that have had a fortune. 
And friend, they could buy anything and everything. And I've sat with them in their home, and listen, their larders are full. And they can't eat the bite. They can't eat a bite. And friend, they're dying of hunger. And yet their larders are full. They have everything as far as what money can buy. I remember holding a mission away down, in, down there outside Hillsborough. And there's a man there, he was a millionaire. I remember well that person. Well, he loved the Lord. I remember he was taken to hospital in the middle of that mission that I was holding. And I went into the hospital. And I went into the intensive care unit of the city hospital. And I stood beside his bed, friend. And there he was lying. Unconscious. The next bed, there was another person. And friend, perhaps they hadn't, as you say, two pennies to rub together. But they were lying beside each other. Just the same. You see, there are things that money can't buy, friend. Money can buy a car. It can buy a big house. It even can buy like the prodigal. It can buy your friends. Well, you have it. But friend, it can't buy you eternal life. It can't buy you for anything for God's eternity. And you and I are only passing through this world for a little station because God has set eternities in our hearts. You know, if you turn back to the book of Ecclesiastes just for a moment, I want to show you. Some people say, you know, if only I had, if only I had money, I'd be happy. Well, let's just read this, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And the writer here is a king. He says, I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men. Verse 4, I made me great works. I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and peculiar treasure of kings of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as, music, as musical instruments. And of all sorts... So, I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. But go down to verse 17. He said this, Therefore, 
I hated life. I hated life. But you say, listen, hasn't he got everything that money can buy? Surely this is what people are wanting to live for. This is what my the, the society is saying. Listen, come on, push yourself, get somewhere, be something better than everybody else. My, you'll arrive then. You'll be happy. All you need is a big car. All you need is a big house. All you need is a big bank account. And my, you've got everything that money can buy. Yes, you, you might have. But does that bring happiness of itself? Oh, I know you might say to me, preacher, but it's nice to go shopping with money. Yes, it is. But if that's what your life is, friend, if that's what it all consists, do you know what the king realized? So I was great more than any other. And then he realized he had to leave it all. What was it all about? And then I asked you this afternoon, we're rushing here and we're rushing there and we're busier than we've ever been before and my, we're just caught up in this rat race. What's it all about? If this is all there is, isn't it a sad existence? If that's all you're living for, what did the, 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 the king say in the book of Ecclesiastes? He summed it all up as this. He said, emptiness, vanity of vanity. All is vanity. And the word vanity is empty. Emptiness of emptiness. All is empty. And he realized that after he got all of these things, his days were sorrow, travail, and grief. And he said in verse 23 of Ecclesiastes 2, For all his days are sorrow and his travail grief, yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. It's all empty. Then what is your life? Come on, answer it. What's your life? If you were to sum up, listen, if you were to sum up your life, what would you say concerning it? What does it mean? What does life mean to you? The Word of God asks the question, what is your life? But the Word of God reminds you, it's only a vapor. It only passes. It's here for a little while. And then it vanishes away. But then you go out to God's eternity. Life at best is very brief. It's appointed unto men once to die. But after this, that's the question. It's what comes after. And when you lay your head down in the pillow for the last time, friend, and the shutters of your eyelids go down for the last time, and you draw your last breath, and that little beat of heartbeat is no more. And you leave your body. And God requires your soul. What then? What then? Here's a young man. He's got youth. 
Here's a young man. He's got riches. Natural fact, Queen Elizabeth I. When she's coming to the end of her journey, what did she say? It said that in her wardrobe she had more dresses than any other woman in the world. And it said this, all my possessions for a moment of time. It brings it down to reality, doesn't it? It's about time you faced reality. Stop fooling yourself. Stop cutting yourself to think, my friend, that somehow that you're, you're going to be different than everybody else. That somehow you're going to beat all of these things. That somehow that God has no say over your life. That God has no say over your soul. That God will never call you to account. That you'll never have to meet him. No, no, friend, come on. Face reality. The Bible says, prepare to meet thy God. Meet him, you will. And meet him, you must. And here's a young man, and he's got youth. Here's a young man, and he's got wealth. And the Bible also tells us he was a ruler. That means he had got a civic position. And people sometimes have got this idea, you know, if only I had a position. If only I'd got a position in life, a standing in life, where people will look up to me. And people will revere my name and people will salute me when they're going past. I mean, this young man had got it all. He's a ruler. Some suggest that he was a ruler in the synagogue. I'm not so sure. He was a young man. He was young. I believe he'd got a civic position in his society. That's the person. But secondly, notice the potential. Because this wasn't a frivolous young man. This wasn't a young lad that was just simply, you know, dismissing the realities of eternity and realities of God and all the rest of it. Because here's a young man, and he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us here in this chapter 10 of the book of Mark's gospel, in each of the gospels it tells us that he came to the Lord Jesus and he said to him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, good master, in other words, this was an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ was teacher, but it was a good master. Now, none of the rabbis were called good master. The rabbis, whilst they were teachers in Israel and were looked upon as masters of Israel because they had studied the law and they were teachers of the law, but why did he say good master? Because this was different. I believe that this young man, let me tell you, he knew there was something different about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, good, that's an attribute possessed only by God. Do you remember those who listened to the Lord Jesus Christ? And as they listened, it says this, that he spoke as one having authority and not as the scribes. You see, the scribes, they, they exercised authority. 
But whenever the people heard him, they knew there was something different about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he was one that not only was given authority, he was one that having authority. Whenever he spoke, and I pray that every time that the preacher stands in this pulpit, and as I stand in this pulpit, and I, oh, that God would give us the anointing of the Spirit of God, that we will speak with, with power, with the authority of heaven, because we're not here to just spend an hour. We're not here to just waste an afternoon. We're here to do business for eternity, friend. And we need authority. This young man, he recognizes the Lord Jesus is different. And he has a respect for the Savior. Unlike the religious leaders that were around him. Because the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the, they hated Christ. But here's a young man and he says, good master. He has a respect, he has a reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice whenever he says this to the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus challenged him. And the Lord Jesus asked him, verse number 18, and Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but God. There is none good but one, that is God. In other words, the Lord Jesus was challenging this young man. He said, why callest thou me good? Because in the context, he was, he was acknowledging the deity of Christ, that he was God, there is none good but God. In other words, Jesus said, do you really understand what you're saying? Do you really know what you're talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ, of course, was not only the good man, he was the God-man. God manifest in the flesh. Maybe you're here this afternoon, and by your presence here, you have a respect for the things of God. You know, there are many people out there, and they have no thought of God today. There's not a fear or thought of God before their eyes. They couldn't care less. They're living lives, let me tell you this, if you were to go to the, the, the places of the world's entertainment, they're living life up, and they haven't a thought of God. But you're not there this afternoon. You're here. So somehow in your heart, there is a certain respect for the things of God. But I have to say this to you. If that's what you're relying to take you to heaven, friend, it'll not get you there. Here was a young man, and he had a respect for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here was a young man, he was reverent in the presence of Christ. Here was a young man, and he said concerning Christ, Good master, putting them above all the rest of the rabbis. And yet, was he saved? No, he wasn't. His heart was not right with God. He was seeking. But he did not know the Lord. But notice something else about this young man and his potential. The Bible tells us, the Lord Jesus again is speaking. Look at verse 19. And says, I think it's interesting what Jesus said to him. He says, thou knowest the commandments. Now he didn't say, do you know the commandments? He didn't say that to him. He says, thou knowest. Because the Lord knew, this young man knew the scriptures. 
He says, thou knowest the commandments. You see, every good Jewish boy would have been, would have the commandments drilled into their hearts and into their minds when they were young. Do you remember what Paul, writing to Timothy, says, as from a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. And in a certain way, this was a compliment from the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, do you know? He says, thou knowest. Because the Lord knew his heart. He had a knowledge of the scriptures. But I've got to say this as well, friend. Listen, you could have not only a respect for the things of God, you could have a knowledge of the scriptures and still go to hell. You could be able to quote the word of God. You were taught in Sabbath school. My, you could stand up before this congregation and quote John 3.16. If I were to challenge you, who knows John 3.16? And maybe you could stand on your feet and say, yes, I remember as a child in Sabbath school, that was the first verse that I ever learned. For God so loved the world, and you could quote every last word, and it could be word perfect. But that doesn't mean you're saved. That doesn't mean that you're right with God, that you're bound for heaven. Yes, you could have knowledge of the Scriptures. Jesus says, thou knowest. You know it. And there are people in this service today, and friend, it could be very true, that you know you need to be saved. You have heard it over and over and over and over again. My, you have been handed a gospel tract. You have been challenged concerning your soul's salvation. That doesn't mean that you've received Christ. That does not mean that you're born again of the Spirit of God. You know, the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. But friend, listen to me. You could know the psalm, but not know the shepherd. You could quote the psalm word perfect, and you die in your sin and go to hell as a Christ rejecter. Yes, you have knowledge. Here was a young man who had respect for Christ, but he wasn't saved. Here was a young man who had knowledge of the word of God. Thou knowest the commandments, and yet he knew not the Lord. i tell you something else about this young man. He lived a decent life. You say, how do I know? Well, whenever the Lord Jesus challenged him concerning the commandments, look at verse number 19. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. Now mark what he answered to the Lord Jesus. Now remember who he was answering to. He was answering to he who knew his heart. The Lord knew all about this young man. He knew that he knew the scriptures. And he answered and said unto Jesus, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now, nowhere in the Word of God, in the records, in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, does it tell me that Jesus contradicted this young man. Nowhere does it say that the Lord Jesus said to this young man, this young man, let me tell you, you are wrong. You have broken these commandments. You have committed adultery. You have killed. You have stolen. You have borne falsehood. You have defrauded. You have not honored your father and mother. He said, all of these have I observed 
In other words, he's a young man, and he's living, he's lived an honorable life. In actual fact, if there was many a father and mother was looking for a young man for their, uh, for their daughter, they would say, that's the kind of a fellow I'd be looking for. He's so decent, so honorable in the way he's living. But I just noticed one wee thing in his answer. Do you notice whenever he answered the second time, verse 20, and he answered and said unto him, that's unto Jesus, Master, he dropped the good. He's getting uneasy now. He's getting uneasy. Christ has challenged him. Why do you call me good? But he doesn't say that anymore, friend. But he does have a decent upbringing. And he says, all these have I kept from my youth up. You see, as far as he was concerned, he was blameless. He was faultless. He had lived a clean life. Listen to me carefully. You can have respect for the things of Christ and go to hell. You can have knowledge of the scriptures and go to hell. You can live a clean life and go to hell. Because this young man didn't get saved. As far as he could see, he was blameless. As far as he could see, he was faultless. He couldn't see his sin. He could see no sin. But Jesus did. Jesus looked into the eyes of that young man, but he went further. Jesus looked into the heart, because man looks in the outward appearance, and God looks in the heart. And Jesus looks into the heart of that young man. Look at verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. There's something missing. Something missing. And friend, you can have health and you can have wealth and you can have youth and all of these things. But there's something missing. What was it? What was it? I'll tell you simply. You notice the commandments that were mentioned in, in verse number 19. See, the commandments of God are divided into two. All of those commandments were on one side of the law because they were to do with man's relationship with man. And as far as this young man was concerned, he lived an honorable, decent life as far as his fellow man was concerned. He was in good standing with man, with his neighbors, with his family, with his friends. He said, all of these have I observed from my youth. But the Lord Jesus said, there's something that's missing. And what was it, friend? Because the other part of the law was this. It's man's relationship with God. And the first part of the commandments starts with God. The latter part of the commandments is man's relationship with man. 
And maybe today you boast this afternoon that I live a clean life, preacher. And I do the best I can, and that might be so, friend, and that of itself can be laudable, but I can tell you, if you're relying on that to take you to heaven, you're lost. Because it's not man you're meeting at the judgment, it's God. And I asked you solemnly this afternoon in this meeting, what is your relationship with God? How do you stand with him? I'm not asking you how do you stand with your family because I believe, friend, whenever a man is right with God, whenever a man is, is, is trusting in Jesus Christ, then his relationship with fellow man will also be right. It doesn't start the other way around. It's not merit, the way of salvation. It's God's mercy and God's grace. And God looked, the Lord Jesus looked into the heart of this young man. And he said, there's one thing you lack. And then he said to him, sell all that you have and give to the poor. You say, sure, that's works. No, friend, no, listen, don't, don't miss this. As the Lord Jesus looked into the eyes of that young man and looked into his heart, the Lord knew there was a God already on that throne of that young man's life. And it's this, it was what he possessed. And what's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That was it. The Lord Jesus put his finger upon the problem of that young man. Listen, the Lord Jesus put his finger on the barrier in that young man's life. The very thing that was taking him to hell. The thing that men and women crave after. Possessions. And that was a God in his life. That's what he lived for. His passing possessions. I was 19, 20 years of age. 19 it was. I remember standing up the Shankill Road one day talking to a young fella. He was in one of the flute bands up the Shankill Road. I was inviting him to the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to uh, several of the meetings. I was conducting different meetings and missions at that time, and he came to them. And he was very concerned. And I remember one day challenging him. We were talking together, and there were tears in his eyes as I talked to him about eternal things. And this young fellow, he was mad about football. It was a God of his life. And as we talked together, he looked at me and he said this. And he says, Look, William, I wonder, can I have, if I have God, he says, can I have my football? I said, young fella, are you putting God and football side by side here? And never forget the words he said. He says, because if I can't have my football, I'm not of God. It was the God of his life. This is true, friend. That young fellow never came back to another gospel meeting. Two months later, that young fellow was playing his game of football and he fell, he broke his leg and he never played football again. But he put his football before God. And I never heard of him getting saved.
You see, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. But notice this privilege quickly. Verse 17, let's go back to 17. It says, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came, that's when Jesus was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now something stirred this young man. He had got everything that money could buy. He had youth. He had health. He had wealth. He had position. And yet he comes running down the dusty pathway. And he falls as far as man was concerned just in front of a peasant preacher who was indeed the son of God. But he falls on his knees before him because it says he kneeled. And he says, what, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit? Eternal life. I just wonder, the beginning of the chapter talked about the crowd that Jesus ministered to. Was he in the crowd? It tells us that Jesus was in the house in this chapter. Was he in the house when Jesus Christ was speaking? Whenever the, the, the parents brought their children to Jesus and, and asked the Lord Jesus to put his hand upon them and bless them, was he standing there listening to the Lord Jesus as the Savior ministered to the needs of all those people? But whatever what happened in his life, friend, something happened that caused a stirring in this young man's soul that made him run down a dusty pathway and fall on his knees before the Son of God. And ask him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? I'll tell you one thing I do know. This young man, when he asked the Lord Jesus, what shall I do that I may inherit? In other words, he realizes he hasn't got it. And friend, that's the start. Because the sad reality is there are many people and they don't know they're a sinner. And they don't know they need to be saved. And they don't know that they're lost. And they don't know if they die in their sin where Christ is, they'll never be. Here's a young man, something has stirred his heart. He's dead earnest here. He's dead anxious here. And he runs down that dusty pathway and he falls on his knees and he asks the Lord Jesus about eternal life. Listen, he possessed everything for time. But he had nothing for eternity. And maybe, friend, listen, maybe you're sitting here this afternoon and if God gives you years to live, yes, you have enough to keep you comfortable. You've got enough to get you through to the end of this world. And you possess enough but they're passing possessions. But what about eternity? What about your soul? You know what Jesus said? What should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world 
and lose his own soul. Time's away this afternoon. I want you to notice with this young man, listen, here's his privilege. He came to the right person. He came to Jesus to ask about eternal life. He came, you could say, the right way because he was broken and anxious. He wasn't frivolous. He wasn't mocking the Savior. No, no, he was dead earnest. He came with the right question. It was about eternal life. And he came at the right time. Because Jesus was passing that way, never to pass that way again. It was the last opportunity that young man had. That's his privilege. And friend, you're here this afternoon in the right place to hear the right about the right person that can answer your soul's question and meet your soul's need. His name is Jesus. And it's the right time. Because God never promised you another day. Now is the accepted time. And now is the day of salvation. But here's the last thought, his parting. Look at verse 22. And he was sad at that saying, mark these words, and went away grieved. For he had great possessions. You see, he thought he had to do something. My, if the Lord Jesus had told him to do something great or to pay something, my, he could do that because, you see, he had wealth and he had youth. And you know, some people think, well, listen, what do I got to do? And some people say, well, listen, uh, if I join the church or if I pay into the church or if I'm baptized or, or I sing in a choir or I teach a Sunday school class and I read my Bible and I say my prayers... You know, all of these things, I'll do them, I'll do them. Let me tell you, friend, salvation is not in your doings. Salvation is founded upon a work that's done at the cross. And all you've got to do is rest your soul upon the work that Jesus Christ has done. A young man came at an end of a meeting. It was the last meeting of a mission. And he came. My, the, the, the lights had been turned out and the preacher was about to go home. And whenever the preacher was to go walk away, this young man came in in the darkness and he said, Preacher, tell me, what have I got to do to be saved? And the preacher says, I'm sorry, friend, you're too late. Oh, I said, Preacher, it can't be. Just because the lights are out, just because the mission's over, surely it can't be too late. Yes, said the preacher. It's too late. And the young lad's heart was breaking. He said, what do you mean it's too late? Surely there's mercy for me. 
He says, you asked the question, what have you got to do to be saved? You're too late. The work's done. Christ did the work at the cross. And friend, today, I don't invite you to try Jesus. I say in God's name, trust him. Trust him. Rest your soul on what Jesus Christ had done. And the sad reality is this. That young man made an earthly decision. For he chose his possessions over Jesus. But he made something else. He made an eternal decision. For the Bible says he went away. It said he was sad. That means to be under a cloud. In other words, the sky darkened that day. He left under the darkness to go out to the darkness of a sinner's hell. It said he was grieved. That means he was thrown into sorrow. But he still went away. Is that what you do this afternoon? Would you just walk away? You know you need to be saved. You know you must be saved. You know that Christ died to save. But would you be like this young man? Get up. Never says this young man said a word. Didn't shout at Christ. They said, No, I don't want you, Lord. It just says, He went away. And you don't have to utter a word for him. All you've got to do is just walk through the door. And in your heart, you're saying no to Christ. And you're going out into the night. Facing the darkness of eternity. Without Jesus, I wouldn't be in your shoes for the world. May the Lord bring you to himself today. May you call upon the Lord for thank God he'll save you. He really will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless your word. By the power of thy Holy Spirit, we pray that thou will draw men and women, young people to Christ. Show them that Christ, Jesus, thy son, still the answer, the only answer. To the burden of man's sin. O oh Lord, save them. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, friend. And I simply say, if there's someone here this afternoon and you're not saved, I beg you in God's name, don't go away without Jesus. Don't walk away without the Lord, friend. Don't turn your back on Christ. 
he went away grieved because he had great possessions. May God stop you today. Turn you to Jesus. We're here to help you. Brother McLaughlin and myself would gladly show you God's way of salvation. Please, I beg you, don't go away without Jesus. Lord, bless your word. Prosper to the salvation of precious souls. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. May God bless his word. Anxious soul. Make this your day of salvation for Jesus' sake. Amen.